Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 13th episode of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporters Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and this is our last episode before Thanksgiving, and so I just want to take a moment to express my thanks for the fact that so many of you have tuned in and shared such positive feedback about this new venture of ours, and also to thank the people here at The Hollywood Reporter who have made it possible, from Janice Min and Lynn Siegel to Dan Strauss and Jen Lasky to Leila Zadeh, Nancy Kane, and our new producer, Dora Takash. I really appreciate it, and I know that our listeners do too. Every one of these episodes has been a lot of fun, both in the preparation and the execution and then sharing it with you, but I have to tell you that I have never been as excited to share one with you as I am this one, which is about as cool as it gets. Today we are going to spend 45 minutes with Will Smith, the biggest movie star in the world right now by every available measure, who appears to be on track to land his third Best Actor Oscar nomination, his third for a biopic as well, we should note, for his portrayal of Dr. Bennett Amalu, a brilliant Nigerian who came to this country, became a terrific medical examiner, and then stood up to the NFL when he made a medical discovery that they wanted him to keep to himself. Now, before we get to that conversation, let's just recap what's happened over the past week. The big news out of the weekend is that The Hunger Games, Mockingjay Part 2, if you can remember that mouthful, uh, topped the box office in its opening weekend with over $100 million, leaving in its dust both Spectre, which had done very well the previous few weekends, and the Peanuts movie, the child's option among the big movies out at the moment. But the big news for awards buffs is that Carol, the Weinstein Company's period piece lesbian love story, had the third highest opening weekend average for a limited release of 2015, following only Steve Jobs and Sicario, with $62,000 per theater in four theaters in its first weekend in release. We'll see how it does as it continues to expand, but that is a solid opening and one that the Weinstein Company desperately needed. The other big story, which I can't really get too much into, is that The Revenant has finally been seen. It's screened on Monday night for both BAFTA and the press, but we are under an embargo that keeps us from talking about it in any real length until December 4th. So in the meantime, just know that it has now been seen. Anticipation for that movie was tremendously high. Obviously, that's to be expected when you have the previous year's Best Director and Best Adapted Screenplay winner, Alejandro Gonzalez Inarritu, directing one of the most talented actors of his generation who does not yet have an Oscar, Leonardo DiCaprio. So we will have lots to say about that soon. But in the meantime, it appears that Joy, The Hateful Eight, and of course Star Wars The Force Awakens will not be seen prior to Thanksgiving. So we're going to have to wait a little longer to weigh in with any informed opinion about those. Not surprisingly, there's already been a barrage of screenings of and events for movies that have already been unveiled at festivals and elsewhere over the last few days. People are trying to pack in a lot before Thanksgiving with the hope that voters will check out screeners and screenings of films that they haven't yet seen over the Thanksgiving break. Um, over the last few days, some of the ones that have been most active include The Danish Girl, the stars of which finally got some time off of their current projects to come to L.A., for the premiere and other press opportunities. Also, The Big Short has been very active, making the rounds here with its writers and director and stars before heading to New York for its premiere on Monday night. And also, there's been a lot going on with Concussion, not only with Will Smith, but also with his director, Peter Landisman, with co-star Albert Brooks, and with others supporting this film, which is sure to court controversy prior to and after its release on Christmas Day. But in the meantime, I am just delighted to have this rare and special opportunity to pick the brain of Will Smith, whose career 
is one that so many have tried to replicate, nobody has succeeded at replicating, and who is now graduating to a different point in his career. He's already proven that he's a movie star. Now he wants to prove to people, and I think he does, that he's also a terrific actor. And so without further ado, let's go to that conversation. Thank you very much again for coming in and doing this. Well, thank you for having me, sir. Definitely. And before we talk about concussion, which is so great, mm-hmm. uh, and obviously it's going to be a big focus of this, I want to do some big picture stuff. So to begin with, the biggest movie star in the world. That mm-hmm. was something that, from what I understand, when you became an actor, that was the goal, right? Yeah, that was a, that was a, that was a very, very weird goal to have. <laughs> <laughs> No, I was. It's funny. I, I learned a, a lot about uh, acting from having that goal. Yeah. Um, I've told the story a couple of times when I when I was 15 years old, mm-hmm. my like my first girlfriend cheated on me, and it was so devastating to me to be cheated on. I remember that I made a pact with myself that if I would just be the best in the world at everything, no one would ever cheat on me again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I'm sure she regrets it right yeah. now. So. <laughs> yeah. So, so when I took on acting, yeah. like I, I made the goal for myself that I wanted to be the the most famous actor on earth. Yes. And but it was directly connected to in this bizarre psychological way of that would somehow maintain my love relationships. <laughs> well, listen, whatever it is, you, you did it. And I guess I wonder for you, as you kind of look back at things, people, you know, trying to figure out what's the secret sauce. How do you get the Midas mm-hmm. touch? The one thing I've read, people like Will Smith because he's never given them a reason not to like Will Smith. <laughs> uh, you know, and, but that's, not, that's a big thing in and of itself mm-hmm. because that takes – when you've been in the public eye for as long as you have, yeah, that yeah. takes – discipline and drive Mm -hmm. and where does that aspect of your personality come from i I would say um in 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 that aspect if there's one thing that has been the uh uh not not secret sauce but is is there there is no secret sauce right (laughs) uh but in that in that vein is i only ever created entertainment for my grandmother to be proud of Really? She was important to you? My grandmother's, there, there was a look. Uh, my grandmother was at uh, at Resurrection Baptist Church. She mm-hmm. was uh, that grandmother okay. at the church, right? Yeah, so she was the grandmother that was organizing all the shows. So that my first performing was at the church. Okay. And there was a look of pride that my grandmother used to have when she would watch me perform. So for my entire career, I've yearned for that look. And it was based on really solid uh, values that she raised me with. And I was fortunate enough to have those connected to the things that I put out into the world. So when I started rapping, I, you know, I I couldn't put profanity in my raps because my grandmother didn't like it. So I would say in, in terms of that, I've always set out to create things that uh, my grandmother would be proud of when she went to church. So originally the goal was not, I want to be a movie star, right? It was, I want to be a rapper. Right? Yeah, it started with music. I started DJing. Okay. I started off DJing and uh, when I was probably about 16 years old, uh, Jazzy Jeff stole a party from me on my block. Oh, so it was before we were, we, you know, before we were a group. Right. So I went up to see 
you know, who this joker is that stole <laughs> my part on my block. He's right. gonna do a party on my block. That's some balls, you know, yeah. that's almost that's yeah. almost we almost would have had to fight over that. <laughs> and I went and I saw him DJ and I never touched turntables again after that day. And I went and I rapped with him that night and that was that was the last day of me DJing. He was he was so out somewhere else and I couldn't figure out how he was creating that and you know he was a big part of the creation of scratching right in hip-hop yeah you know so it was i you know when you run across a savant like that it uh it's sort of uh you know you'll make an adjustment in what your aspirations (laughs) are (laughs) now you guys together like just to remind people when it when it hit, it hit right. I mean, yeah, so man. you guys, you were still in high school. Yeah, I had a, I had a, uh, a record on the radio for thirty days as a senior in high school. So the last thirty days of my high school Pretty career, I had a hit record yeah. on the radio. So <laughs> that's as good as it gets. I was say. It's been all downhill since then. <laughs> so <laughs> now the the name, the Fresh Prince. Mm-hmm. Where does that come from? Uh, probably right around eighth grade, eighth, ninth grade. I had, uh, a teacher who, uh, started calling me Prince Charming. All right. You know, I, I, um, I never liked homework. Right. Right. But I, I, um, I would always find myself on the good side of teachers. Okay. Right. So it was, um. I was that kid that we could smile and talk and come on, just like I mean, you and let me let me give me another give me two days, <laughs> you know. So I could I could talk my way uh, in and out of situations very well. So uh, she started calling me uh, Prince, mm-hmm. you know, based on Prince Charming. Mm-hmm. And then you know when uh, Fresh was the new hip hop slang, I added the yeah, Fresh yeah. to the Prince, and and uh, <laughs> et voila. Yeah. So <laughs> how is it that acting under the picture with Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, I guess. Mm-hmm. And also one of the things that you have in common with um, a lot of the greatest movie stars ever, whether it's mm-hmm. Cary Grant or Harrison Ford, is that outside of these biopics that you've done, in a sense, and certainly mm-hmm. in the case of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air from what mm-hmm. I've read, you were playing yourself. Right, exactly. So uh, um, first, first off, um, all of my songs, the way that I write um, – my first record was called Girls Ain't Nothing But Trouble. And then my big hit of that time was Parents Just Don't Understand. Right. Uh, then I had one called I Think I Can Beat Mike Tyson. <laughs> so my style of writing was storytelling. Mm-hmm. So it was always storytelling. Mm-hmm. And then what happened is, if, you know, if you write a record that's a story, you end up having to act the story out mm-hmm. in the video. Mm-hmm. So from the very first, my videos were always theatrical. So there was always a character that I had to play and there was always a storyline and records had the, you know, I learned story structure from records. It was, it was three verses back then. So it was a verse, hook, verse, hook, you know, and if you get real fancy, you do a bridge, then you do, (laughs) you know, another verse, right? So, um, it was... A, an extremely theatrical undertaking for me to make a music video. Yeah. Um, so Quincy Jones saw my music videos and he came to me with uh, Benny Medina mm-hmm. for the ideas for the, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And it's, he never actually asked me 
if I could act. <laughs> yeah, you know, he just he just assumed right. that I could from what he had seen right. in in the the music videos. And so throughout that whole run, it's essentially you were a lot of improv, a lot of uh, yeah. things that you know being well, being just I was doing me. I, yeah. I, I um I made my character from Philly. Mm-hmm. Um, right. The uh, Benny Medina actually went from uh, Watts to Beverly Hills. Okay. So we just changed okay. it from Philly yeah. to Bel Air and. I guess one of the greatest things for me that happened as an actor is every um, actor on the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, they were all stage-trained actors. Wow. Everybody had over you know a decade or two decades on the stage. Even Alfonso, you know, who was you know just barely out of his teens, right. had already had 10 years of stage training. So that's your acting school. Right. So that was my acting school. James Avery, yeah. uh, Janet Hubert, Witten, Joe Marcel. Everybody was stage trained. Right. So every day was a workout on the set with, you know, some of the best actors and one of the best casts that's ever been assembled. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, I don't know if this particular incident that I want to ask you about, not an incident, but, but, uh, Event happened. Hey man, I didn't. I, I ain't touched them people. <laughs> <laughs> well, so in the chronological order, when along mm-hmm. line, I, I've heard this story. I believe it's true mm-hmm. that you and your manager, I think James Lasseter, sat yep. down and looked at the most successful movies of all time and had a conversation. What What, what right. was that? When did that happen? Um, so that that was probably uh, nineteen ninety. Um, so James Lasseter, uh, he grew up in our neighborhood and he started off, he would, uh, he would hand records to, uh, Jazzy Jeff. So what would happen at the party, mm-hmm. you would be playing the song and as the DJ, he's going fast. He would need somebody to hand the oh, record. Okay, so that was okay. JL's oh, job okay. to hand Jeff the records. Yeah. So, um, in, in 1986, we put out our first record. That was the year I graduated from high school. And uh, we, JL went and got a law degree. So we needed one of our friends. You know, it was like, because yeah. we were like, we were really focused on being stupid. So we knew that we one of our friends had to be had smart. Because <laughs> we were like dedicated right. to dumbness. So <laughs> He was the guy. So JL was the guy. Yeah. He went to college, right. um, got a law degree, uh, and came back okay. and, and took over the management of, of Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. So as we moved uh, through the, the first four years from 86 to 90, 90 is when the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air started. From, mm-hmm. So from 86 to 90 with with doing the the music we won the first grammy ever given to a rap artist um in 88 but then we flopped an album Mm. so i knew um uh, i could smell that the musical days were going to (laughs) be numbered right right. so i sat with jl and i said you know what let's i want i want to try some i want to try acting and it was right around 90 and you know we started moving into the Fresh Prince, and I said, okay, I want to be the biggest movie star in the world. And he said, okay, um, well, let's figure out what that means. And he went and got the top ten movies of all time, the list of the top ten movies of all time. At the box office. At the box office, top ten box office successes. Mm -hmm. um, And we also looked at them um, adjusted for... Inflation, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, for inflation and... and, uh, uh, views versus dollar value. Right. You know? So we looked at all of the yeah, different variations. Yeah, yeah. Um, what we found is uh, at the center, uh, there were always 
um, special effects. Mm-hmm. So it was always special effects. Mm-hmm. There was always creatures. Um, <laughs> and there was always a love story. Okay. Um, so we started looking for movies that had special effects, creatures, and a love story. And that, that you know, Independence Day, and then right into Men in Black, right. and, and that, that sort of became the platform right. of where we, uh, we you know, based our choices on. It's so interesting. And I guess anyone could have looked at those stats and, and said, this is what I want to do. But you mm-hmm. guys made it happen. You made it happen. Yeah. And um, I guess before the big blockbuster started, though, there was six degrees of separation. Right. Absolutely. And you said that that was one that taught you a lot because it maybe also taught you what not to do going forward, right? Well, what, what, what Six Degrees did, uh, that was almost a necessity. That was at a time no one was taking me seriously. Um, uh, no one thought that I could actually act. Um, so uh, JL and I sat and we, you know, we talked about, you know, what would, what did we have to do to change that perception? It was like, well, you know, it's just like music. Mm-hmm. In music, you, you know, there's a thing, you call it a FU record. <laughs> like when you have a FU record, right. you know, when you listen in the studio and you have a record that is so undeniable, it does not matter <laughs> what you've done before. And you can you could tell uh, everybody at the radio station and anybody who ever hated you ever you can say hey f you I dare you to try not to play this record right, right, right. that's great that's great <laughs> and that's what we did so we started looking for that with screenplays and with movies and we just we, we wanted to look for concepts and ideas and casts and directors that were were unassailable mm-hmm. and so why was Six Degrees that and also when you got so into it mm-hmm. what's the danger of that that you learned on that one. Oh yeah, it was six, six degrees of separation. I uh, that was my you know my first acting uh, experience with like that level of material yeah. with with um, Tony and Academy Award winning actors. Uh, it was Donald Sutherland and Stocker Channing and and um, amazing cast. Yeah, it was yeah. a real ridiculous yeah. cast. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm the, the type of person I don't consider myself. Um, particularly talented. I consider myself slightly above average in talent, but nobody's going to outwork me. Right, right. I am the most ridiculous, hardworking, I, you know, I'll take, you know, a, a slight talent and then add the skill to it and can make it look magnificent, <laughs> you know. Um, so I did that with Six Degrees of Separation and I went uh, full method. And uh, that was the first and last time that I ever did that. I was doing nine days at a time where I wouldn't live a moment of the day that I wasn't in character. Oh, jeez. You know, so I you know, did that a couple times. And it really starts to affect yeah, your, your toll. psychology. Yeah. You know, and I, I uh, uh, you know, the movie was over and we left. And I realized that my character was in love with Stocker Janning. Right, right. So I realized when I got home, I was like, oh, shoot. I'm actually in love with Dr. Chad. <laughs> <laughs> wow, well, hey. I was like, ooh, uh-oh, this is not good. This is not good. Is so Knocking at her door, hey, hey, Stocker, what you what you doing? <laughs> oh, you just chilling? Right. Okay. Wow, well, that's amazing. So now, just a couple of years, few years after that, as you say, it starts with the with – Blockbuster after blockbuster mm-hmm. after blockbuster, which it's it's a track record that I think is still unparalleled. No. And for you, what was it like when you suddenly? And I know it, it look, probably looks more suddenly to the rest mm-hmm. of us, but 
Bad Boys, Independence Day, Men in Black, all this, when it's all happening, um, your life has got to have changed. Yeah. Not that you weren't already well-known before, but now mm-hmm. um, it always comes with a, a – it's a cost-benefit, right? Yeah, so yeah. for you, the the kind of loss of privacy, the fact that people are going to – you know, ask you about your family and your yeah, kids yeah, 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 and your yeah, religion, yeah. all yeah, this stuff. Yeah. Was that something that you could adjust to seamlessly or did it take a, take a while? Um, well, I, I, I say this all the time. Um, it, if I had to grow up in the, the age of the, the Internet and in Twitter, there'd be a very, very different uh, story that would be <laughs> written. Um, fortunately, most of my career – um, I was shielded from that level of scrutiny. Mm-hmm. You know, there actually was privacy. Mm-hmm. There was actually the ability to uh, create mystery. Movie stars need mystery. Yeah. People need to not know in order to come to see you in a movie theater, mm-hmm. whereas music is slightly different. People want to know you. They want to feel connected to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had the opportunity to create the level of mystery in my life that it takes to be a, a movie star. Um, and I'll be really interested to see if there will be any new movie stars. It's really, it's, it's a, it's a difficult, it's a difficult thing to, to create. Um, so for me, I, I, I would say to answer your question, um, I would say that I'm, I'm built for it, right? Like, um, I enjoy, people um for the for the most part i'm not doing things that if people saw you know it would it would uh be a problem (laughs) um but the uh, i i enjoy people i enjoy talking i enjoy interacting so it it hasn't been something that has been uh as frustrating for me as i've seen it be for others right um when you have so much success, and then there's a disappointment, yeah. which I you know, hate to bring it up, but like Wild mm-hmm. Wild West may yeah. have been, or After Earth. Uh, when you, when, wait, how do you handle the realization that even yeah. you are, are human? Yeah. I mean, well, when I flop movies, I flop them at a quarter of a billion right. worldwide. Right. So we just, first, first and foremost, <laughs> we need to, let's just say, what, like, you know, let's just say what, what you know, when, you know. So, but for me, yeah. a quarter billion dollars at the worldwide box office is a flop. So it's, yeah, it that's is, true. It is, it is, you know, it's hard for me to live with that. It's hard, but I, I struggle with that. Right. You know. Uh, you sleep at night. I can't, yeah. I can't sleep at night. It only did a quarter billion. No. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it um, seems from from what I try to prep pretty thoroughly here, and yeah. it's I read at the time you you particularly I think you said maybe not so much Wild Wild West. You know, it was early on. You didn't know yeah. that it was every other that it wasn't going to be like ten in a row or whatever great ones. But After Earth hurt a little more, right? Yeah, no, they they both hurt. You yeah. know, any any time. Um, Anytime you put something out and it doesn't land the way that you want it to land, it's always it's always painful. Um, you know, I I exclusively create for the purpose of giving. Mm-hmm. You know, I do very little. Um, I'm making this because I want to make it. You know, I'm, I'm going to push it through the studio. And I'm gonna make, no, I, I make what I think will be helpful which will think things that will bring joy. Yeah. Um, I, I guess the part that was most painful is like people act like you tried to make a bad movie. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Like people act like you tried to make. Right. So he's like, man, you know what? It's like it's a couple million people out there. And I just want to ruin a Friday and Saturday <laughs> night. Like I want to get them in the theater and just give them something that just they don't appreciate at all. <laughs> no, well, I mean, the th- the only reason I even mention it is because mm-hmm. it's such a rare occurrence know, with you. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. the and the other thing was that you said that. After After Earth, yeah. there were a few minutes there where you felt horrible, and then you got some perspective. Right? Yeah, no, it was it was uh, so it, it came out in the you know the 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 box office and the opening was excruciating and all of that. And that Monday morning, um, after the box office receipts came out, and I had about ten or twelve minutes where I was sulking, and then I got the phone call that my father had been diagnosed with cancer. And I was like, yep, thank you, God. Got it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. I get it. You know, I went downstairs. I got on the treadmill. I did my hour on the treadmill. And then I you know, flew to Philly to, to see my father. Yeah. Um, but it's like in Hollywood and in, in these types of uh, heightened uh, emotional and global arenas you can get really lost perspective wise yeah. perspective wise yeah. you can get you can get deeply um thrown into uh emotional foolishness yeah. Yeah. and i'm 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 finding that that is uh a, l- a little easier for me now you need the 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 failures and the things that don't go the way that you want to keep your perspective uh in line, so I'm I'm finding myself uh, able to enjoy right. many more aspects of the process, and um, I've made an emotional shift in my life from product to people. Yeah, yeah. and it, it it's I create to create with people. Uh, I create for people, um, and trying to become a better person. So it's less about product and more about the spiritual and emotional interaction yeah. through the entire line of a project that um, becomes the quote unquote win. Right. And if you have a slightly disappointing movie every 14 years, right. you're, 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 it's not such a bad <laughs> thing. <laughs> uh, so yeah. one of the things that I found interesting was that you have done some of your very best work in biopics. Right, and right, right. Your p- two previous nominations for Oscars, yeah. uh, Ali and Pursuit of Happiness, people yeah. will remember. And I think your third is going to be Concussion. And the point, oh, though, is – well, Yeah, no, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's amazing. And the question, though, is um, in terms of budget, the stakes aren't necessarily always as high as they right. are with some of the bigger ones. But do you feel when you're doing them, the stakes are almost higher because you, you're entrusted with somebody's – story their life yeah the stake the stakes for me in the in biopics are is, is 10 times as high um because at the end of this process i'm going to sit in a movie theater next to the person mm-hmm. who i've played um i've only ever played uh people who are still living right you know right. so there's pros and cons to that the 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 pros are that you get stuck in a scene you can actually call the person right. Right. and ask them hey man what happened that day when them boys was tripping would <laughs> what, what t- you actually say you you know <laughs> you get to talk and um there's a comfort in that but then there's that difficult thing um that 
never seems to dawn on me in the beginning. I always get in and then remember three quarters <laughs> of the way through the process. Oh, my God, they're going to watch this with their family. <laughs> and right. um, so I'm uh, I'm three for three yeah. sitting in the theater watching it with, with, with all the with, yeah. all, with you know, I watched uh you know Ali, you sitting right directly behind Ali wow. and and uh, Chris Gardner and and uh, now with Bennett Amalu. Yeah. So uh, they they've all given me the 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 thumbs up. Yeah, so. very much. But so. it's excruciating. Yeah. Well, now, so is there a strategy though? Because uh, in the sense that I know you say you make movies to entertain people mm-hmm. and to tell a good story and all of that, but um, some. Other movie stars have said, and I'll, one of them, uh, Clooney said, I think one for them, one for me. I'm going to do a big one, and then I'm going to do one that I want to do. Right. And it allows that to happen. Do you have any sort of, you know, any sort of rhyme or reason to how you sp- spread out your roles? Like biopics, they've been a few years in between each right. other. Well, I've been, I've been very, very lucky that the ones for them have been ones for me, and yeah. the ones for me have been ones yeah. for them. Yeah. You know, so the, you know, the pursuit of happiness which had no reason to have the global success that it had. And I still have no idea how you make a movie about a black dude in the 80s who gets a job. <laughs> and it <laughs> does know? that well. And it makes 300 yeah. worldwide. Yeah, so yeah. I've, been, I've been very, very blessed yeah. with not having to, to make off. that the decision. Yeah. Um, and what I'm always trying to do is there, there's a... There's the small character drama that every actor loves to sink their teeth into. Mm-hmm. So I'm obsessed with trying to put small character dramas into the middle yeah. of blockbuster packages. <laughs> um, the most successful I've ever been with that concept is I Am Legend. Yeah, I Am Legend easily could have been a stage play. Yeah, right. You yeah. know, a one man show. Right. You know, a dude with a dog, and. You generally would think you need a little bit more than that for a, a blockbuster, and to date, that's the you know my my biggest opening, and my my second yeah. biggest film. So yeah. it, it's um, that that that's an obsession for me to not uh, act so much that people don't want to see right, it. Right, 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 right. You, turn, right. <laughs> you act so much that you turn people off, but you, or you put so many creatures in it that <laughs> now people don't take the acting series. Well, it's so interesting though because there's no snobbery there about the the popcorn movies, and right. and there's a but still a reverence for the the you know more um, traditional. Yeah, I don't know absolutely. what you would call them. So. Um, if out of curiosity, I like to say gourmet popcorn. Gourmet popcorn. That's what we're going exactly. for. Gourmet popcorn. <laughs> it's like, well, with, with, when you're in it, it is gourmet popcorn. So, um, but for you, on a if you have a free Saturday night mm-hmm. with the wife, you want to go and see a movie. Uh, which one is it more likely to be? Which kind is it? What do you personally gravitate towards more? Um, I'm I'm almost. Uh, exclusively a small character really? drama watcher you know if a if a movie goes crazy globally then i'll go see it in a theater yeah. to to see what um you know what you know people are right. excited about um but for for the most part um i i got popcorn right popcorn is not what i'm struggling right for i can i've i've uh I know how to make a hit movie, mm-hmm. right? 
I don't find it difficult at all to make a hit movie. <laughs> I find it really freaking hard to make a good movie. Well, is that why with <laughs> Ali, yeah. you apparently, according to, I think, again, going back to some old articles mm-hmm. here, I think, sounds like you had, there were a lot of years there, several years there where you resisted, you were asked to do it, yeah. and you didn't yeah. want to do it. Yeah. Why was that? Um, I went, first of all, I was terrified to, to play Ali. Um, there was there was a decade there where he was the individual most recognizable human being on earth. Yeah. You know, and that that's a daunting task. Um, and I also felt like people had been programmed with so many images of Ali that I would never get a fair shot that they would just look at me and just take my interpretation of uh, Ali. They'd be looking to to match it to their uh, ingrained images. Um, and I didn't know how to do it. And I met with, you know, a few directors and then I sat with Michael Mann and I didn't even want to meet when I was like, dude, I'm not playing. <laughs> There's no way I'm playing Ali. Right. And he understood. He looked at me. He said, OK, here's the deal. He says, I know what you're scared of. He says, I am going to write the curriculum that will deliver you to the stage as Muhammad Ali. He says, all you have to do is do what I say. <laughs> and I was like, now that I can do. Yeah, right, right. Check I can checklist. do that. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm really good at that. I grew up in a military household. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes. I can do what you say. <laughs> but for me, I didn't know how to right. do it myself. Right. So when he laid out the, the curriculum for me, it, was, it wasn't easy. Right. But I have no problem following steps when someone lays them out. So it's like see the archival footage, listen to these audio Get the accent, yep. you know, train. He hired everybody. He, he put the team together. Yeah. He said, block me eight hours a day yeah. for the next year. Yeah. I was like, done. Right, <laughs> right, right. And, you know, he had me to uh, get Ali's jab, right? He, he would have me sit in a dark room watching 15-minute loops of Ali just doing the one move with the jab, sitting wow. in the dark, and he was trying to burn neural passages. Yeah, yeah right, right, right. <laughs> I was like, I love Michael Mann. <laughs> uh, that is my guy. And the next thing you know, you're sitting there between Ali and Mandela, right? Absolutely, yes, pretty, exactly. It worked out. So, yeah, it worked out really good. And then there are times, so in that case, they went after you, and then my understanding was with Pursuit of Happiness, and you could see we're going through the three biopics because mm-hmm. I think people, these should be revisited by people. Mm-hmm. With Pursuit of Happiness, you went after that 2020 yeah. episode, that thing, just faithfully you happen to see it, right? Yeah, what 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 happens in, in Hollywood in terms of development is the when you can see the three-act structure of a story and those 2020 and 60 Minutes pieces, they do such a brilliant yeah. job of laying out the story in the three-act structure – and, and the character is so clear. And when you can get one of those, it's it's really smooth and easy and brilliant. Ali was difficult in that there was so yeah, broad, the sprawling yeah. landscape of story it was difficult to construct it. Whereas with Pursuit of Happiness, uh, twenty twenty did the heavy lifting <laughs> in the the three A structure structure. And for the for concussion, Jean Marie did a really right, beautiful right. job in the in the GQ article of breaking the beginning, middle and end of the story down. Right. So with Pursuit of Happiness, just to 
to touch a little bit more on this for a second. Um, at the time, some people were saying, Will Smith's been successful since he was 17, 18, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. How can he know what it's like to be a, play a homeless guy and whatever? Forgetting, right. I mean, that's what acting, you know, that's right. what it is. But uh, I wonder how helpful it was for you in, in getting into the emotional side of this character by having your son play his son. Yeah. That, Is that key? Yeah, having my son there really helped. Um, Chris Gardner was great because he – I went to San Francisco with Chris Gardner and he walked me through the steps of his life. Wow. So we went into that bathroom hmm. a month before shooting and he talked me through the sequences. Um, and Chris Gardner's story wasn't that uh, drastically different from my father's story. Really? So in my comprehension of the character, I was using Chris Gardner's life, but I was doing using my emotional comprehension from my father. He so had a similar thing with his he, job. He had a similar thing, and he built his own business. Wow! Right, so he wow. was in the in the Air Force, and he yeah. came out of the Air Force, and essentially, you know, started his own wow. business. So, you know. When we were growing up, there were you know plenty of nights when the electricity was off and. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, he was the dude that would the, – the, the electric company would come out and they would disconnect the electricity and he would put his ladder up and climb up the pole and turn it back on. <laughs> hey, taking the initiative. Yeah, yeah, he was that guy. Wow. And, you know, you mentioned the scene in the bathroom and I yeah. think that long after all of us are gone, that's going to be one of those scenes that keep getting played. And yeah. do you remember at just, you know, since since that's in some ways the one that, that – uh, seared most into people's yeah, minds. Yeah. Take us back to that day. What was what was that like? You know, it was um what was what was really beautiful and in doing it with my son is the the experience that my son was having was mirroring the experience that Chris Gardner was trying to create for his son. So for my son, he's he actually fell asleep on my lap in this bathroom. And so we, we just kept rolling. We were there for 20, 30 minutes. And then it just hit me what this must have been like. So I had the time to just sit in that bathroom with my son falling asleep on my lap. And then it just smashed down on me. What, what that must have been like for Chris Gardner. Um, and there's the, that's the, that's the tears. That's the t- yeah. I just lost it. Yeah. You know, so the, it was extremely helpful to have my son in there on my lap and the pain that he was having fun. It was like fun. Where's he going to sleep in a bathroom and all? And you yeah. know, and it was that you know that was the experience Chris yeah. Gardner was trying to create right. for his son. And I got I got uh, completely smashed by yeah. by that. Well. Connecting that with concussion, one thing that you've said, actually all three biopics, I think, you said that Michael Mann and, and I hope I pronounce it right, it's Gabrielle Muccino. Gabrielle Muccino. Gabrielle Muccino. Gabrielle. <laughs> La Ricerca della Felicità. That's what it's called in Italy. La Ricerca della Felicità. <laughs> well, so he, and we should mention you also did Seven Pounds with him. Yeah. You've, they've, you've said, quote, those are the two directors that I've worked with that know all my tricks. They can see right through me yeah. and all of the willisms and the things that I know how to do mm-hmm. to make the audience laugh or smile or cry. Um, I would think if I'm a director who's not already pretty established in this country, mm-hmm. I w- that that takes a pair to go after you and tell you don't make that face or don't do whatever. Yeah. But you liked it. Yeah, Ga- Gabriele is, is – um, 
100% artist,、mm-hmm. right? There's, he is not focusing on the business or the final product, or he lives in every single moment 100%. And he can so see. Um, he, he's an empath, so he feels everything and he can see when you're not, re- when you're trying to make a face that looks <laughs> like you're sad <laughs> versus digging and, and、right. deep to find it. So,、um, he's a, he is a,、um, brilliant emotional director. So he's taking himself there emotionally with you.、Mm-hmm. So a lot of times he's directing you from tears and,、yeah. you know, so he is, um, It's almost like he's helping you with the emotion、okay. as you go through. Wow. So, with concussion, you, uh, uh, you were basically,、um, you've, you've made such careful, deliberate decisions、mm-hmm. with your career moves over the years.、Uh, and part of that is the reason that, you know, I can't, you can't find too many people that don't at least like Will Smith.、Right. So well, at why, least one of the movies. They don't least, like one of them. Well, like maybe、something. the movie, but you, they like. <laughs> It's funny. They, they, they don't hold the grudge.、Mm-hmm. So my question is with concussion,、uh, having had that approach your whole career, now,、mm-hmm. you're, now you're taking on a movie that is. In the same way that Ben and Amalu was kind of、yeah. uh, having to deal with trouble because there are a lot of people that like football.、Right. And I, you know, was that, did that give you any pause knowing that potentially there are,、uh, you know, there are some people that like Will Smith who are going to have a hard time with this movie? Yeah, it was, the, it was a,、uh, a huge conflict、um, for me to make this movie. I'm, I'm, I'm a football dad,、um, I've, I grew up in Philly. You know, with my, my Philadelphia Eagles, you know, so the, the, the idea of making a movie、um, that illuminated this particular issue、um, was, was not something I was chomping at the bit to be a part of.、Um, uh, but I, I read the screenplay and it was really, really well written.、Um, And then I met with、uh, Dr. Omalu, and I sat with Bennett for 20 minutes, and he told me his story. And I'm looking at his eyes while he's telling his story. And、um, as, an, as an artist, it's the type of story you live for to have a person with this type of experience that you can talk to, and there's you know, social. Uh, ramifications to the piece, and、mm-hmm. it's a, also a、um, brilliant story about the American dream. And, you know, so it's all、yeah. of those elements.、Um, uh, and then you have the, the part of it that it's actually about an issue that's close to my, my heart,、yeah. also. My son was out there on that football field, and I had no idea that there was a possibility. Through repeated head trauma, to that he could suffer long term、mm. brain damage. I had no idea、uh, that that was a possibility. So then I, you know, I was impelled as a parent that I felt I re- that you know, I had to tell this story. Yeah. And for you, what was the, the biggest mountain to climb on this one? I mean, you nailed the accent.、Mm. Uh, I like that you didn't. The, the laugh, which we、oh, heard yeah, about yeah, at AFI yeah, Fest, yeah. you gave, let, let them keep that. But、mm-hmm. the rest of it, what, what, I mean, was there something else? That, you didn't have to like, 
transform your body or or uh, do things that you've done in some other movies, but mm-hmm. emotionally, it must have been an interesting experience. I think I think the um, Will Smith doing a Nigerian accent is not something that moviegoers are charging to the theater. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, yeah, I want to see that. You know, so I was I was I was concerned yeah. um, that um, I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to deliver it in a way. That wasn't distracting that, you know, every once in a while you look at something where uh, I might not be the actor for this. And, you know, I looked at it and uh, I worked for about six weeks to get get started on on the accent. And then I I, I fell into a place where I started to feel uh, confident and that I could dial it down to a level that it was authentic but not distracting. That's interesting how you can modulate. Well, just the if it's all right with you, the last three things here are just uh, about this movie as well because mm-hmm. I I saw that first screening at AFI Fest, mm-hmm. and I went in there like some people who had seen this New York Times article that suggested maybe this has been watered down. Mm-hmm. And after the movie, I'm wondering what was watered down because they <laughs> they they would not they would not be happy campers. I don't think that's, that was my assumption coming mm-hmm. out. And the next day, I get an email from the NFL. Which a lot, several other journalists do too. If we can help you with your coverage in any way, yeah. you know, which I <laughs> yeah, don't yeah, think yeah. they do if they're thrilled with the movie. Right. So, in your sense, was was anything held back, or you guys just kind of no. went out? This this was um, we were focused on telling Bennett Omalu's truth. Um, I had no contact with the the NFL. Um, and we, you know, we had no intention of watering any aspect of this film down. The entire point that Bennett Omalu was making was tell the truth. Yeah, yeah. You know, so our big struggle was to not to sensationalize, right? And we kept we kept uh, very heavy focus on making sure the things that we were saying and the things that we were. Uh, doing in the film and even the juxta- juxtaposition of imagery is a huge thing. What you're cutting from too makes a statement. Yeah. So we were we were very very careful to make sure that we weren't trying to paint good guys and bad guys. Bennett kept saying the truth doesn't have a side. Right, and that's your, such a great monologue. The yeah. one that you do with the truth, absolutely. Uh, so when people see this movie, what is it that you hope that they will leave it thinking or doing differently. It seems like, I mean, obviously, again, it seems first and foremost, you want people to have a good time at the movies, be entertained. But it's obviously biting off a big issue and one that's important to you. So what would you like them to think or do after they leave? Um, I I think um, in in terms of Dr. Dr. Omalu's story, um, I would love for people to take away the importance of standing up, you know, the importance of uh, using your faith or whatever strength you have to call on to tell and demand the truth. I think that there is such a uh, potential higher quality of human interaction if we could tell each other the truth um, and then also if we could make receptive places for the truth. That's another aspect also. Mm-hmm. Uh, we generally don't 
you know, create a receptive space in ourselves yeah. to to hear the truth. Um, I'd love for people to take away the uh, Dr. Omalu's reverence for the American dream. Right. Which you have also said what your story can only have happened in America. Absolutely. Right. You know, my I you know, I feel like uh, in, in, even in terms of relating to the, the character, um, America is the only place on earth that I could exist. Right. No other country on earth produces Will Smith's. Right. You know, it's true. No other country on earth produces Denzel Washington's, you know, or Oprah Winfrey's. Right. right? So still got a long way to go, but it's, right. you it's know, possible. Yeah. Or Barack Obama's. Right. You know, so, um, you know, if you if you, you look back uh, historically of how uh, black people have had it on the planet, you know, uh, uh, America is uh, elevating quite well, right. you know, based on the, the history of our, our right. people. Uh, you know, so when I, I want people to be able to, I hope that people will take away the power of the American dream that Dr. Omalu seized on. Sure. Well, the last question is this. Uh, here we are. It's late 2015. You have a beautiful family. You have a, you've realized that dream of becoming the biggest movie star, bringing this whole conversation <laughs> full circle. And, you know, you, you now... Uh, I think are are starting to receive for this performance, and and um, I think it's just the beginning of a season of appreciation for mm-hmm. not just being a big movie star, but also a great actor. And so I wonder, what do you at this point in time, uh, so we can go back and listen to this in twenty years or whatever? Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you make of it all, and and what's your outlook for the future? Is there anything you haven't accomplished yet that you would really like to, um, or are you a pretty content guy? You know. Um I'm 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 a climber, so uh, if I if I see a mountain, I have to climb it. I'm I'm not a camper. I don't I don't like uh, <laughs> I don't like hanging in in one place too long. It's, um, you know, so I I think at this point I'm I'm elevating my ability to um, be useful in the world, and I think that that's what my my grandmother always hoped that I would make myself useful to people in um, this lifetime. So I'm, I'm working really hard, and I'm, uh, uh, my storytelling is elevating, my ability to um, you know, be eloquent with my body and with, with my voice and, and to deliver ideas as an actor is elevating. Um, and... You know, as I, I look at the political landscape, uh, I think that there might be a future out there for me. Yeah, really? They might they might need me out there. I've, I'm, but uh, are you serious? Because I think it would be great. Is that yeah. something you've, you've thought about? I've, I've, I've been – this is the, um, uh, the, the, the first year that I've been incensed to a level that I, I can't sleep. You know, so I'm 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 feeling that at, at, at some point in the in the near future, I'll, I will have to. Uh, lend my voice to the the conversation in a in a somewhat different way well that would be wonderful and i can't thank you enough for doing this i really appreciate it thank you very much man thank you sir